be back in Genesis this morning, continuing in our series. Uh, so you can open to the first page of the scriptures, Genesis chapter 1, and that's where we'll be working from this morning. As you're kind of getting settled, uh, I just want to start with this thought of, of our view of God. I, I think sometimes, I, I don't want to impose anything upon you, but I, I, I think from my perspective, a lesson I've been learning, a lesson I'm learning uh, and, and have been dealing with and learning for some time is that all too often <clears throat> our view of God can be way too small, just so small. As I said, personally, I've been thinking about this a lot. Uh, the lessons I've been learning uh, it seem like have all come back to this same core issue that, that my view, my understanding of God, my perspective of him is just too small. And then I was reminded recently I was reminded of a book, and I was reminded of a perspective, this perspective, uh, uh, from a guy named J.B. Phillips. He wrote a book, Your God is Too Small. And in this, in the introduction of that book, he writes this. And so I, I, I realized it's not just me. This is something that all of us struggle with. He writes, many men and women today are living often with inner dissatisfaction without any faith in God at all. This is not because they are particularly wicked or selfish, but because they have not found with their adult minds a God big enough to account for life, big enough to fit in with the new scientific age, big enough to command their highest admiration and respect, and, consequ- and consequently, their willing cooperation. And I think he's right. I really, I, I, as I've said, this is, this is a lesson, a personal lesson I've been learning for uh, nearly a year now. We limit God by defining him according to what we can perceive of him in our current circumstances. We, we, we determine his will and his ability to work on how we perceive him working often in our current circumstances. But the God revealed in the scripture, the God that, that the Bible introduces us to is, is uh, more sovereign, more glorious, much more uh, uh, powerful, more capable than we often give him credit for being. Now, I know, because I know the people sitting in this room, I know that we acknowledge that with our words. I know that we say those things. I know that we would agree on the sovereignty of God, the authority of the God, the power of God. He is almighty, omniscient, ever-present. We would agree with those things. But what does our worry reveal? What does our anger reveal? What about that sense of hopelessness that, that's just there at the edge of our mind that comes crashing in upon us when suddenly things aren't going our way. What are, the, what are these negative experiences, negative emotions, negative perspectives? That, that, what do they show about what we really believe about this God that we would affirm is sovereign, ever-present, almighty, all-knowing? Sometimes I think we're more like little kids than we like to admit. <clears throat> and again, I'm not trying to be harsh or in, in any way or difficult. The, the reality is, that, I, it, let me just illustrate this. If you have kids, you'll recognize this. You're always so mean to me. You never let me have what I want. You heard that from your kids before? Maybe it's just my kids. My, ki- my kids never said anything like that. Uh, I'll be honest. 
I don't just remember my kids saying things like that. I can remember saying things like that. I don't think we intend to. I don't think it's like we set out in the day to de- and determined to do this. But I think oftentimes we do the same thing that our kids do to us. And we've done to our parents. We do the same thing toward God. And we determine who he is, what he's about, and how he acts based on what our current circumstance is. Forgetting. And, and, and what does a kid have to forget about their parent when they say, you never let me have what I want. We just left Chuck E. Cheese. We just spent the whole morning doing what you wanted to do. Right? We're headed to this place to go do this thing that you desired. I think without intending to be this or to do this, that we look at God not based on what the scripture says, but what we can perceive in our current circumstance. All the while forgetting all that he has already accomplished. And all that he has promised he will accomplish. That is to our great good. So whether we like to admit it or not, we're more like our kids than maybe we would first imagine. But the study that we're doing is intended to put us in a place where we don't have to do that anymore. And where we won't continue to repeat that mistake anymore longer we're we're studying about the god who is the god who is right now god has always been god and will always be god and he's always been and is right now and will always be everything he has ever been he's always been almighty he's always been all-knowing he's always been ever-present he's always been All of these things. He has always been gracious and loving and merciful. And he's always been holy and righteous and glorious. He always has been. He always will be. And brother and sister, our confident hope is that he is right now those things. And that's why we're doing this study. To be reminded that the God who is right now has always been And always will be. He is the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. The first and the last. And he has always been and always will be. And is right now great, glorious, good, and gracious. So so we're not just studying the, the, the end and the beginning and all the way through. Simply so that we can have knowledge. We need the knowledge. We need to understand. We need to, we need to, to comprehend it so that we can believe it. So that we can apply it. We're not seeking simply to answer a bunch of questions that people are running around asking. We're seeking to know the God who is. So that's where we started when we caught a glimpse of him in the end. And today we're spending again time in the beginning. Seeing him not just as the Omega but also as the Alpha. Genesis chapter 1. verses. We're going to for context sake and for for just a a flow of things. We're going to begin back in verse 1. I'm going to read through verse 2, then we'll pick up the first three days of creation in 3 through 13. And because we're going to break that up a little bit, I want to just go ahead and pray, get our minds set, seek to just position ourselves before the Lord and seek to hear from Him. Father, help us in that now. Help us see you. Help us discern the the truth of, of 
of who you are and what you've done and what you've been doing, that we can be confident, that we can be certain, that we can be at rest, that we can be in peace, even in a world that's filled with chaos and confusion. I pray this, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was, the face, was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and God said, and I want to stop right there, I just want to stop, I want you to hear that glimpse, that, and God said, there's something else coming. But here we are, in this first couple of verses of the whole of Scripture, and we learned this lesson. We saw it last week. Our God is the sole source of all that exists in heaven and on earth. He is the sole source. There's no, no, no one beside him, no one around him, no, no one he owes to. He is the sole source. Our God is the sole source of all that exists in heaven and on earth. He created everything by his powerful word and according to his sovereign plan. Everything that isn't God is Created by God. Before anything else was, He was. Now all that exists in our universe that isn't God owes, is, owes its existence to Him. There wasn't some eternal matter out there that He then took control of. There wasn't some eternal substance, some eternal stuff that He changed and transformed. There was nothing but God. In the beginning, God created all of these things all that we see all that we experience everything that isn't God was created by God he created by his powerful word and though we didn't see it explicitly last week we went ahead and and touched on it and hit on it so that we could understand that it was by his word that the powerful word of his proclamation and we see it we're going to see it explicitly today you you heard it at the beginning of verse three and God said you're going to hear it at the beginning of the second day in verse six and God said Said, And you're going to hear it at the beginning of of day three when it says in verse nine, and God said, and every day of the created order is framed and, and, and punctuated by this beginning moment. And God said, he spoke and it was so he spoke and what he said, if it wasn't already true, became true. You see what I'm saying? So, and God said, let there be light. It wasn't true that there was light. Until he spoke it and suddenly there is. His word brought about the truth of all that we see. All he created by his powerful word. He created according to his sovereign plan. Now we need to deal with this a little bit to see how this begins to unfold for us. Before we go to the rest of the text we're studying today. So so verse 1 moves into verse 2. We dealt with this a little bit last week but it was near the end. And and I was pushing through to get us us done. We We need to see this. Verse 1, beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, moves into verse 2, the earth was without form and void. And there's not an explanation of how the earth that's without form and void, the waters, the deep that the Spirit of God is hovering over, where did that come from? So lots of people begin to ask the question, wait a minute, was there something happening before verse, you know, is, is, is verse 2 part of verse the, the first day is, is, is verse 2 some other work of creation and then he begins to, to bring it all into to, to order in, in the six days. What does, what, what's happening here? I'm going to be as honest as I possibly can. We don't know. Now there's plenty of evidence outside of, uh, outside of this text that points us to understand some things. 
Everything, Hebrews 11.3 tells us, everything by faith, we know that everything that is seen and unseen in the universe is, is created by his word. So, so it wasn't like something, something came to existence. There's, there's these passages that help us see and, and, and understand that the, that the, the, the earth and the, the deep and the waters, they weren't some pre-existing matter that came, God came and acted upon. They all exist as the power of his word. Now, I'm just going to give you my perspective I'll deal with this in a post in this coming week as people look at the age of the earth and the days of the week and all of that. But I think the clearest, easiest reading of the text, and, and, and I'm not a Hebrew scholar. I've taken Hebrew classes. I'm not a scholar. But, but as I understand it and have read from people who understand it and looked at these different views, I think the clearest reading of the text is verse 1 is a summation of all that he's about to do. Verse 1 is a summation of, of everything. Three or chapter Verse 2, sorry, verse 2 through verse 31, where he is going to, to bring everything into order and fill it up. That's what he's going to do. But some, at some point in the immediate moment of creation, at the very beginning of his work, at some moment, at the beginning of day one, he brings all of this stuff into existence. I tend to put this verse at the beginning of day one. It's not some long span of time that's always existed. I think that that verse 2 is, is really part of, of day 1. He creates all the matter and all the water. He creates it all. And then he begins to act upon it. Now, that's my view. There's lots of people that have that view. Lots of people that don't have that view. That's, that's where, where I'm coming at. I think it's the best reading of the text. And, and so what you have is this, this illustrated, here's what's about to happen. And then in verse 2, he begins to explain the work. But he doesn't give us an indication of how it was done or when it was done. We just know it was done. And so here we have this, this, this what, what some people call chaos. This, this, the, the, the earth was without form and void. Darkness over the face of the deep. Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so, so in his book, um, Creation, of, Creation of Cosmos, um, I can't remember the subtitle, Creation of Cosmos, a, a guy named, a theologian, uh, a guy named Sidney Gradonis, has written and he's taken he's taken <clears throat> these verses and and this process of creation to cosmos and cosmos to creation or cosmos to chaos back to cosmos and he's shown that there's a, a a movement all the way through the text all the way through the bible not just in genesis all the way through the bible where where god takes what's chaotic and makes it into cosmos and then what when, when he brings judgment he takes what's been cosmos and he brings it back to chaos and then out of that chaos, he brings cosmos. And out of that cosmos, as a result of judgment and our sin, he brings us back into chaos. And so there's this flow, this ebb and flow, this movement, this pattern all the way through the scriptures. You can see it all over. We'll actually see that in just a, 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 towards the end. But he, he writes about this, and he draws this out, and he's dealing with this passage. He highlights in this verse the, the words, without form, without form and void, that formlessness and that emptiness darkness and deep, those four words he shows all the way through Scripture, how they're intended to demonstrate all the way through Scripture, chaotic circumstances, cosmos, or, or confusion, and, 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 and this disorderliness. And he writes this. He says, all that existed at this point, at this immediate moment of creation, all that existed at this point was a formless, empty, deep ocean covered in darkness. Nothing would grow on this earth. It was lifeless. But there was a ray of hope. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Then God spoke and step by step, word by word, turned chaos into cosmos. 
And I think verse 1, like I said, it gives us this introduction. And in verse 2, we begin to see the six days of creation kicked off. And that immediate moment where it begins is a substance, is a planet that God has created that is uninhabitable. That it will not sustain life. That, that, that life can't live on. And right now, nothing is functioning in. But that isn't the end of the story. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's this, this reality that God is still at work. Don't judge him by the current scene in the story of your life. The Spirit of God is hovering over the waters. And we see it. And before we get there, I just want to show you how it unfolds and how God takes what was uninhabitable and brings life and and the ability to sustain life together. And we can see it if if we step back from these six days, before we study them deeply, we, we, we take a look at how they're ordered together. The first three days, day one, day two, and day three, show us God forming light and dark, sea and sky, fertile earth that produces vegetation. In life, set against the days in which he takes what was without form and forms it, set against the days that are void, empty, and fills it. Day four, lights of day and night in complement to the light and the dark. Creatures of water and air to complement the sea and the sky. Creatures of the land feeding on the vegetation he places there. Complimenting the fertile earth he brings out of the sea. You see, what God, we see God doing in these first three days is forming what is unhabitable to make it habitable. What, what is empty, he is preparing to be filled. He is making it ready to put something in it. By his powerful word and according to his sovereign plan, God made the unhabitable, uninhabitable, habitable from chaos he formed cosmos. And we see that in these, we're, we're going to see it in these first three days. Let me just, let's just read it. You, know, you don't have to take my word for it. We can see it. And God said, verse three, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, and immediately you should know, this is the beginning of another day. God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the heavens I'm sorry, in the midst of the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning the second day. And God said, the beginning of day three, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. I I forgot to draw this out. I remembered as I'm reading that's in my notes and I should have said to you. On day three and day six, we see these dual acts of creation, right? We see first in day three, we see him bring out the dry land and then the, the vegetation. And in day six, we see the, 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 the beasts of the field, the, the livestock, 
uh, and, and creation of man and woman. And so we see this complement between these three days. On day three, on days one through three, God is forming and bringing order to what was chaotic. By, a power, by his powerful word and according to his sovereign plan, God made the uninhabitable habitable. From the chaos, he formed the cosmos. God spoke and it was so. His word carries power. What he says becomes true if it's not true already. Right? His word is what forms and shapes and defines truth. That's a difficult concept for us to understand or to, to deal with because Sometimes we, we would rather determine what's true based on what we can see. You see it all the time. These videos that get, get our, on our show, social media and people jump to make judgments about what happened off of one little instance they see in the video. What they can't see is what's happening behind the screen or, or around the, the view of the camera. In fact, we did a video, uh, and this just came to mind, that we did a video when we were first getting this building. Uh, Nathan and Faith helped us do a video as a fundraiser that we could put, post and put out. And they used a phrase, and it just is now coming back. There's a, a, a cinematic truth or something to that effect that, that what you see isn't necessarily what's true. It's what the camera shows you. We're so prone to that. To, to what I can see, what I can discern, what my perspective is must be true. Your word is not the standard of truth. Your perspective is not the standard of truth. God's word is. God spoke, and it was so. And God, we see him acting sovereignly in, in, this, in, in this season, in this time. Over and over, we see him naming and de- 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 defining and, and giving purpose to. He, just look at in verse, uh, ver- verse 9. God said, let the waters made under the heavens be Gathered together into one place, let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, right? So we see him bringing it out. And he says, hey, by the way, earth, you are what you are. You are earth. He he names him. He he demonstrates sovereignty. He demonstrates authority. And so here we see these two things now at play. God has power and God has authority. If he doesn't have both, he ceases to be God. A God with no power, with all the authority in the world, what happens? He can't do anything. He's got all the right to say something. Hey, I don't like it this way, but he's got no ability to make something happen. A God with all the power, but no authority, what happens? That's dictators. That's, that, that's, different. That, that's, that's not the God we have. That's somebody who's usurping and demanding right and, and stealing rights. God has both the right to say these things and the power to make them be. And, and, and then third, I would just point out in, in, in this just quickly as a, as a summation or a summary over the whole thing. God's work is always good. Always. And we see that as he works through. God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. It was good, he says. What, what he's done is just, it, it, it's good. And, and, and then he gets through the second day. He finishes the work of the second day, but the work isn't complete, and so he doesn't call it good yet. And it's not until the end of the third day where the, where the heavens have, have, have been separated, the waters above and the waters beneath have been separated and divided. God saw that it was good. And then on the third day, he finishes, and, and, and he puts the plants on there, and he saw that it was good. His work is always good. Everything he does is always good. There's not ever a moment of his work that he isn't doing good. 
even when the earth was without form and void, he was moving to make it good. And this is, again, this is such a small view of God. Sometimes we think, oh my gosh, he wouldn't create chaos. He wouldn't create confusion. He's orderly. He absolutely is. But he's so big, he's so powerful, he's so amazing that he can even use the chaos. He can even use the difficult things of life. He can even use the confusion. Nothing is beyond his reach. In fact, he might be the very reason it exists so that he can show us the difference. Isaiah 45, 7 I form light. So, so let me just give you some, some context around this verse. Isaiah is about to make this, uh, Isaiah is making this prophetic statement, and, and it's captured by, by showing God as the creator of everything, that everything exists because of God. And he's going to use Cyrus, king of Persia. And, and, and Isaiah is about to make this proclamation of how an evil person, the king of Persia, somebody outside of his chosen people, is going to be useful to God. And he comes to this place. Where God says, I form light and I create and, and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Our God sometimes is way too small. Now, I want to guard you here because in, in some translations, if you're reading in the King James, I think it's the King James, as I remember it, the only one that's still being read regularly, that, that translates the word calamity as evil. And so a lot of people have struggled and said, oh, God's the creator of evil, so he made sin. No. He's not the author of evil in the sense that he forced sin or, or, or any of that nonsense. But he certainly made it possible so that mankind could sin. And, and as he's creating and bringing things to be, there's, there's a saying, and, and it, I think this will illustrate it. He's created a world in which we must crack some eggs in order to bake a cake. Get it? We used to have this guy that worked for me when I was at Worldwide. He was the messiest. We called him Pigpen when he wasn't around because nobody wanted to call him that to his face. But he's the messiest mechanic I've ever worked with. Everywhere he went, everything he touched was left with black fingerprints. And so when you're working on the interior of an aircraft and they're expensive and he's been inside of it, there's footprints on the carpet there's handprints on the walls he'd always say oh gotta make a mess before you can fix anything that's the world we live in jesus himself was perfected through what suffering that's the world god created that's the that's the things that god causes he he is using all of this darkness and light well-being and calamity God does all of this ultimately to show sovereignty and authority and power. And we can recognize his goodness so that we can recognize his goodness in the contrast of those things that, that we don't appreciate. Ray Ortland, speaking on this passage in Isaiah, he writes, If God is sovereign, then all of history, not just church history, is his plan. All events have one ultimate cause, fit into one great purpose, and find their significance in one final victory. Think about this. The reason I brought this is because just think about the, the, the perspective we're studying. The whole reason we're in this study is to see God as Alpha and Omega, beginning and end, first and last. He's not simply the one who created and made what was chaotic good. He's the one who created good stuff and brought form and function to it. God did this work. That means we can't box God in 
Ortland says back to his quote. That means we can't box God in. It means we can't think piecemeal. It means making room for the improbable ways of God. All too often, our God is too small. We're defining him off of what we want him to be or what we think he is based on our current circumstance. We're seeking to judge him based off of one scene in a grand story. God, by his powerful word and according to his sovereign plan, God, he made the uninhabitable habitable from the chaos. He formed the cosmos. God commanded light to shine and divided it from darkness to distinguish between day and night. We see that in verses 3 through 5. That first day, as, as, as we most regularly count it, he created light. God said, let there be light and light shines. Now, it's hard to imagine a, a world. Just imagine a world that has no light. Can you? Like, can you imagine a world that doesn't shine some way, somehow? We've never lived in that. The closest we can get is going into a cave, and, and they shut all the lights off, and they say, put your hand up in front of your face and see if you can see it. And you can't see it. You, you see, sometimes, like, it's happened a couple of times where I see these flashes. I think I see my hand, but I'm not seeing my hand because there ain't no light. But, but we're a people. We are a people who are surrounded by light. So much so that the light here dims the light of the stars. Even when it's dark, it's light here. Imagine that world. Imagine that, ex- that, that, that universe, that place, that, that existence of God. And I, I can't fathom it. More than that, he doesn't associate light with some source in this moment. He just says, let it be, and it starts to shine. And I know scientifically in our minds, like science, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> we can't say that. We've got to figure out the right order of these things. I don't think we have to. I think we read the word exactly as it says it. God said, let there be light and light shines. In fact, I think if we look at the whole of the story and the whole of the scripture, we see that, that in the end, when the sun and moon are no longer necessary, God will still be shining light through his sun. The new city will need no sun or moon because the sun, Jesus, will be shining light. The glory of God will be evident in the new heavens and the new earth in ways that now we're limited to experience it in light through sun and moon and stars. He created light. He created time. He he, he divides the light from the darkness. And again, how in the world does that work? How do you make light stop? You've you got to put something in front of it, but God just divides it. He says, hey, you know what? Light, you're going to go this far. Darkness, you're going to exist here. This is the way it's going to be. And, and you know what? The light's going to be day. And the dark's going to be night. And there's purpose in both of those. There's a profound thought, though, because now there's something ticking. There's something moving. There's time begins to flow. He didn't just create light and dark and day and night. He said there's a clock that's going to, to be ticking the whole time this created order lasts. Day and night. Day and night. Day and night. We can observe this. We can see it. It's all put into motion right here. Imagine a world without time. We were talking about that in our church history class this morning. 
Imagine an existence in which time doesn't have some bearing. I don't know that it's possible. But here this God who exists outside of time creates time and condescends to begin to work within time because he orders his work in the day. And he leaves the night for his own sovereign purpose. And we, we see him doing that. We see that the rest of the order is, is, is that way. The rest of his work would be done in the light and, and, and would define each day. So, so God, he creates the light. He speaks the light into existence. And then we see God in verses 6 through 8. We see God divided the waters to establish boundaries between the heavens and the earth. So here we have light and dark necessary for our lives, Right? Now God divides the waters to establish the boundaries between the heavens and the earth. Could you imagine a world in which there's no atmosphere to walk in? Whew, man, that's good. Hard to do that underwater. Hard to do that in outer space. It's, it's, what we see him doing is, is, is establishing this space for us to live, for us to breathe, for us to exist. He separates the waters from above from the waters below. And, and there's all kind of discussion about this, trying to define what it is. And there's now this, some people go so far as to say it's a dome that he's making, you know. And, 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 and they refer to passages that speak to it being hard as, a, hard as mirror and, and all these things. And I think those are probably taking the scripture and pressing them too far and asking something of them they weren't intended to do. I think what we see him doing is separating us from outer space and giving us a place in which we can live. And so now we look into the heavens and, and, and we look into the sky and we can see, we, we can see, we can ex- experience that we have some, ex- it, it's expressing itself, it's, it's pouring forth speech day and night as Psalm 19 says, glorifying God day and night. So that everywhere we look out there, we see the glory of God, but we have a place that we can live within it. He's forming it and we're beginning to see why he's forming it. In the days to come, he's going to put birds in the air and he's going to put man on the ground. He's going to fill it. But before he fills it, he must prepare it. He must form it. Because before this day, without form and void, light and dark, waters below from waters above, and there's space now between in which we can all dwell. God gathered the waters. In verses 9 through 13, he gathered the waters of the sea to reveal the land on which we would feed and dwell. This is beautiful. So here it is. He's not creating, he's not creating only fish and amphibians and, 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 and animals that, that are okay living in the water all the time. Not to say we can't enjoy the water. Well, we weren't designed for that. He wasn't creating us for that. He wasn't creating everything in the world for that. We're going to need a space to live. So he brings up the dry ground. Some, some, some think that he that he puts the water in deep into the earth. Some believe that he brings the ground up. Now, who knows? We weren't there. In fact, he challenges Job with that. Who shut in the sea with the doors when it burst out from the womb? When I made clouds as garment and thick darkness, a swaddling band, and prescribed limits for it, for it, and set bars and doors, and, and said, Thus far shall you come and no further, and here shall your proud waves be stayed. Who was there? Who was he asking about it? Who was he gaining insight from? Who was he, who was he working in accordance with? His own counsel. What we know is that at the beginning, the whole world was covered with water. 
Until the moment where God said, water, you can be no further. This is your place. Dry ground, you will exist right here. And oh, by the way, I have a plan for this dry ground. And I have animals and people that I'm going to place upon it that are going to need food. So he commands the earth to produce vegetation. And what happens? It was so. In the first three days of the creation process, God takes what's chaotic, what's uninhabitable, and makes it habitable. We see him forming his creation so that it can accomplishes and so that it can accomplish the purpose for which he set it in place. Even this forming is just part of the story. You know how we know it's just part of the story? Because there's three more days. Right? We don't want to begin to judge everything based off of these three days alone. We don't want to begin to think of God based on these three days alone. But more than that, bigger than that, we don't want to just judge God based on those first six days either. There's so much more to the story. If God was done at the end of six days, what wouldn't be? You and me. Where would we? What, that would be it, right? From, from the chaos, God formed the cosmos that is now being preserved until the day he removes all chaos from the cosmos. From the chaos, God formed the cosmos that is now being preserved until the day he removes all chaos from the cosmos. There's this massive story being told as God is preparing not just to create, but to create new creation. And this is what Peter gets at in his second letter to the church, 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 4 through 7. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? Speaking of Jesus. Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. And so you see, they're reaching back, they're recognizing it's just the same thing over and over again. Chaos forms cosmos, returns to chaos. Forms cosmos, returns to chaos, forms cosmos. When is Jesus coming back? That's the question. For they deliberately overlooked this fact. This is the problem. For they deliberately, deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of the water through water by the word of God. And that by means of these, the world would then, uh, that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. And he goes on to say a few more things about that. And then, and then he comes to this place where he speaks directly to the church. But, but according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Our, our, our view of creation is not simply to define the origin of the earth, although we can understand that and see God as the alpha. The beginning, the first, the source. But the whole point of us looking at the creation is to see that that's just the beginning of the story. That there's an end coming to. That there's a reality that the God who was is the God who will be is the God who is right now. From the chaos, God formed the cosmos that is now being preserved. Right now, being preserved until the day he removes all chaos from the cosmos. His promise is that the chaos will not consume us that belong to him. We won't be consumed by it. 
We're waiting for a new heaven and a new earth, Peter says. How can we be, be, so, be so certain? Well, we don't want to overlook that what God did in the beginning set a, a plan in place and a, and a flow of time in motion that would certainly come to pass. We don't want to forget that due to our sin, God brought, God brought back chaos into the world. Just think about this. It was profound to me when I first, when I, when I first began to recognize it and put these two these, these, these in line together, that there's a way in which at the very beginning, in the very moments of creation, God created everything, right? Created heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, covered with water, spirit hovering over the face of the deep. No dry land anywhere to be seen. What happens in the flood? A lot of people question. Man, the teaching, the plainest reading of the text is a worldwide flood. He covers everything, and everything dies, and all of the all that he created is returned to chaos. The cosmos returns to chaos, but not without hope. Why? Because there's a family, and animals placed in an ark that he's going to preserve life. It's beautiful. What happens after Noah and his family come out? Form a covenant with God, Noah sins. Chaos begins to ensue. And they won't spread out over the earth, and so they begin to build a tower to themselves. Oh, we're going we're gonna to make a name for ourselves in the world. We don't have to go anywhere. Let's just build this tower. And God looks down on that tower. <laughs> Look at that little thing. They think they're so impressive. In, in fact, the text, as it reads, he had to come down to see it. It's so small. And what does he do? And judgment brings chaos. He separates their language and they begin to spread out. Because his good work will happen on all the earth, not just part of it. It will happen in his name, not ours. Yeah, over and over and over. We, we, we've talked about Job. We talked about Job last week. We'll talk about, we, we referenced the verses from Job this week. A God who proclaimed by God himself inspired words saying he's a righteous man. His life brought to chaos. But how'd that story end? More than he had before. Cosmos. The danger is we sit in the middle of this and and we think that our life defines so much. I don't know the circumstance, the immediate circumstance that you're going to walk out of this room into. I don't know all of those stories in detail. Some I do. God is God right now. The God of the chaos and the God who brings cosmos out of the chaos, He is God right now. How can we be so sure? If you doubt it, don't overlook what He did at creation. Don't overlook what He's been doing all along, how that flow has never ceased. But look to the light. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In John 3, he speaks about our love for darkness over light because he's the light. And in the end, when when the sun and moon are no longer necessary, who is the light going to emanate from? The glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. I I love this. I I don't have it on the screen, but it's one of the commentators. I think it was Derek Kidner. He writes, light, which has lent its name to all that is life-giving, truth-giving, gladdening and pure, and he has all kind of references for this. 
light, which has lent its name to all that is life-giving, truth-giving, gladdening, and pure, appropriately marks the first step from cosmos or from chaos to order. And as it here precedes the sun, so in the final vision it outlasts it. Why? Because Jesus is Lord, the light of the world. Look at the waters. You want to be certain that God is God right now? Look at the waters. The waters that God commanded to go no further are the same waters that Jesus Christ walked upon. Are the same waters that that when the storm raged and the disciples were scared to death they were going to die, he commanded them to be still and they stopped. And in awe, in awe they looked at him. What is this man to command even the wind and the waves? You want to be certain, you want to be sure, look at the land. The land on which we now walk was given to us at the moment of creation by our God. He covered again with water, but he pushed that water back into its storehouses. He revealed the land, and he made it productive again, and he promised it will always be productive. As long as winter and and, and springtime exists, so the land will produce its harvest. The land on which we live was later promised specifically, a land promised specifically to Israel. And there, brother and sister, is a land promised to us. Jesus, just before his death, just before his arrest, his death, crucifixion and death, he's with his disciples in the upper room, John chapter 14, and he's talking about this place he's got to go, and they can't go with him. And he says, but I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's not a lot different than what he did in those first three days of creation as he prepared a place for us. You want to know for certain, you want to know for sure, look at Jesus the light, the one who commands the water, who walks upon it and who tells it to be still, the one who said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Look at the food that starts all the way back at the beginning. God ensuring that those who would live upon the earth would have food that would nourish them. Manna in the, in the desert as his people followed him in the wilderness. And then here Jesus comes and says, when you pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, what? Daily bread. Because he's telling you to to look to him to be your provider of your food. But more than that, then Jesus turns around a little bit later and says, I am the bread of life. Everyone who comes to me will never thirst or hunger again. You want to be certain that the God who brings cosmos out of chaos has not abandoned you in the chaos. That's just one small part of the story. Look at Jesus Christ, who at every point answers these things and shows that he is God. Oh, I know this difficulty. Look, I, I, I'm just like you. I, got, I was driving on my motorcycle. I'm just like the rest of everybody, all right? I'm driving on my motorcycle the other day, and I got pooped on by a bird. I mean, how do you get pooped on by a bird on a motorcycle? It was shocking. It was cold, even. I was wearing shorts, which probably should have been doing it anyway, but it didn't hit me on my body. It didn't land on my helmet. It hit my leg. It Somehow, at just the right time, I'm moving through time and space, and the poo had fell, and I hit it with my leg. How? And suddenly, Lord, what did I do? (laughs) 
And then I'm reminded of this sermon. I know that's a small thing. It's a silly thing. Even when you're getting pooped on by a bird, God remains God. He is God. Rest in him. Trust him. Look to him. And when you doubt, when you're struggling, just like we all do, what did I do to deserve this? God, where are you? Don't dismiss the chaos is only part of the story. One small snippet of the story. Cosmos is coming. And he is God of every ounce of it. Let's pray.